Hello and welcome to the Ty Brown Show. This week's episode is You're Grounded, but in a good way. It's all about identity, and very often difficult conversations are only difficult because both people are overthinking what the conversation seems to be saying about them. Have you ever been there, right? I think we have. So the goal of today's episode is to learn how to ground your identity to absorb the blows of these attacks. So buckle up. Podcasting from conciliators. This is the Ty Brown show. If you're a human and you think you might have to interact with other humans at some point and you like that to go well, then listen up. Oh yeah. It's time to get cozy with conflict. Let's go. And we are back. So let's get into our stats of the week. Guess what, everybody? We broke 500. 501 listeners this week. Uh, The the dispute resolution revolution marches on. I don't know if I can say really to the masses, but at least to the 500 souls out there who are unfortunate enough to be spending their day uh, at least the next few minutes listening to me rant on about resolving disputes. But regardless, I'm really grateful you're listening and I'm grateful that you're sharing this and inviting others to listen. I hope you'll continue to do that. Um, for those who might be listening for the first time, the goal of this podcast is really to just resolve disputes in your life. Uh, I'm a, a practitioner of, of alternative dispute resolution, a mediator and, um, I, I work, uh, I, I actually own a company called Conciliators that helps businesses and their workforces get along. Uh, my, my first grader, when people ask her, you know, what her daddy does for work, she tells them that he's a professional peacemaker, which I think is, is, is actually pretty, uh, pretty descriptive and pretty accurate. And I'm hoping that we can bring some of that professional peacemaking, uh, into your life, right? Into your everyday relationships, not just for the people who are stuck in lawsuits, uh, but for everybody because we're all stuck here on earth, uh, trying to work things out and talk to each other and, Boy, let me say this. Here's a little rant just to get the show going. What has happened to human interactions, right? I, I Holy cow, they are getting bad. They are getting really bad. Um, yeah, really, really bad. No, so, but, but really, I don't know. I don't know when this all changed. It seemed like, it seemed like when I was growing up that there was a certain level of like civility or I, I don't even know if civility is the right word, but people just talk to each other better back back when you know way back when you know when I was uh, when I was a boy no but here here for example okay so I was at BYU Brigham Young University doing some CLE continuing legal education for um, you know because I'm on my uh, I think I have to report so many hours of CLE next year so I was trying to get some in and there's education week going on at BYU there's amazing, amazing speakers. They line up just incredible experts in every in every field, and it's very, very well attended. Lots of people come down, and it's just it's just a hoot, right? Very, very good presenters. And um, so, anyway, I I'm there doing my CLE. I I stop for some lunch, and I'm I'm sitting there and kind of like the main. It's the Wilk, right? If you've been to BYU, you've probably been to the Wilk, and they have this place called the Cougar Eat. 
as my wife we used to work there when we were college freshmen. So very nostalgic. It's almost romantic in, in many ways. So anyway, there I am in the Cougar Eat. Uh, I'm getting like this awesome rice bowl. And there's this there's this young woman, probably 18 years old, working the register. And there are a lot of people there waiting in line. Everyone's hungry. And maybe, maybe that's why everyone was so grumpy. Maybe we were all just hungry. I don't know. But this is what happens. So I order my food, I pay, and I move over, and I'm just waiting for my food. And right as they bring it to me, I realize, oh, this is kind of cool. They have, like, these little little like lids you can snap on to your rice bowl, and you can put it in this little bag, and you can carry it to go. And I thought, well, that's kind of nice. And they also have some sauces out um, to put on your food. And this guy, who's not been waiting in line, he just comes walking up. Um, to where I'm standing, and he grabs basically the whole stack of bags. And there were plenty of bags there. I don't know how many he grabbed, but he left like one or two. And, uh, and he, barks at, he barks at this young woman who's working at this little restaurant. He's like, hey, you're, you're just about out of bags. And he said it with this tone of aggression and like, like almost it was very accusatory. And it, it, it shocked her, like it surprised her a lot. And she stopped and she looked and she didn't know what to say. And it, there was kind of this awkward little silence. And um, as you can probably tell by how much I talk here, I don't, I don't love the awkward silence. And so I jokingly say, well, yeah, thanks to him, you're almost out of bags. You know, just trying to make light of it. And um, also kind of trying to, you know, get in a little jab at this guy who's attacking this poor young worker. And um, and he looks at me like all all angry like and uh, and I just smile to try to kind of disarm him with a smile and it doesn't really work. Um, so she goes and grabs some more bags and puts them out. And um, and then he looks at her and keep in mind, this guy hasn't even ordered food. He has no food. So he has no need for using the sauces that are there. But he then follows follows this up with this kind of statement. She brings the bags and he says, by the way, how the insert expletive am I supposed to know what kind of sauce this is? <laughs> and I think everyone who was sitting there or who was standing there was just kind of just kind of shocked. At least they should have been. Probably everyone was so used to this kind of behavior that it wasn't shocking. But I was shocked. And in this girl now she's like big eyes, like verge of tears. And um, and so now I'm kind of mad. And so I look at him and I was like, well, to answer your question, one way might be saying something like this. Excuse me, miss. Can you help me? What kind of sauce is this? And I like I, I actually, you know, I, I actually said this, you know, really my, my goal at this point was to embarrass him. Um, and and I hope it worked, frankly, because that's that is that is unacceptable to go around with that kind of that kind of aggression in our daily dialogues. My goodness. And uh, so not, you know, not 30 seconds later, there's a woman who gets her food and uh, I'm, I'm still, I don't even know what I was doing, uh, but I was standing over there still. And, um, and she was like, she was like, Hey, you forgot my spoon. <laughs> and, and she just yells this like, all like, Hey, like what? Oh my gosh, what a, what an offense! Can you believe that someone wouldn't put a spoon in there? Um, and um, and so I I tapped her shoulder and I was like, oh hey, the spoons are right behind you. You know, you get those yourself. 
boy, I, anyway, I walked away from that little line experience thinking the world needs to change. People need to stop. They just need to cut it out, you know, stop the contempt. Um, boy, boy, anyway, so it, next time you're feeling all all worked up and huffy, uh, just remember just remember that poor worker at that at the cougar eat. <laughs> there are easier ways to communicate what you're thinking than getting mad at people and viewing them with contempt. All right. How's that for like a five minute random rant? Okay. Yeah, that's not what the show is about today. The, oh, did I even share the stats? 501. That's our stats. I think I did. Yeah. I, and by the way, I'm only like a one take guy. So if I think it's chippy and I get lost on this, I'm sorry. You just got to hang with me because um, I, I wish I had more time to devote to this, but I don't. So you kind of just get what you get and you don't throw a fit. That's what we tell our kids when they get something they don't want. All right. So uh, as a reminder, last week's episode was we should rename it. We should rename it the Harry Potter debacle. Uh, I, I based the entire episode off of inaccurate Harry Potter knowledge, which is embarrassing. And and I think I probably received maybe 12 different texts or Facebook messages or emails about the the funny use of Wingardium Leviosa. It turns out Wingardium Leviosa is not the disarming spell. Last week we talked about disarming, right? How to how to basically win arguments by disarming people. And uh, it's not about winning, right? It's about resolving things. So anyway, that Wingardium Leviosa turns out that's just to make stuff levitate. It's not about disarming. Um, and I, I thought about coming on here today trying to defend my my use of the wrong Harry Potter spell, you know, but the truth is I just, you know, I, I blew it. I blew it on the Harry Potter front. So um, shout out to all you Harry Potter uh, aficionados who know so much. I am impressed. And uh, actually, it was really funny. I, every time someone brought it up to me, I couldn't help but laugh. Um, but I also, I, I don't know if you saw, but on the Ty Brown Show Facebook page, I awarded 5 million points to the first person who could give me the right spell. And there's probably some debate about who should win this because Alex Eliason said the the killing spell would technically disarm someone. I can't remember what that is. I think it's, I don't know. I'm not going to try that. I'm not going down that road again, right? I'll get called out. Um, but actually, the, the person who won, Kristen Taylor, congratulations, 5 million points to you. The correct disarming spell is Expelliarmus. So way to go. And, and actually, I don't even think you should get those points, Kristen. It should probably be your 10-year-old. So anyway, that's that. Just as a reminder, the actual disarming technique, as far as you know, difficult conversations goes, goes like this. First, you agree with them. You say something like, you know what, you're right. Second, you find the truth in what they're saying, even if what they're saying is very hurtful. And if it seems like a stretch, you can find some grain of truth in what they're saying and point it out. It shows that you are listening, that you understand. All right. So first is agree. Second, find the truth. Third is empathize with them. Let them feel how they feel and acknowledge it. And don't try to control how they feel. You empathize with them. You go there with them. And then you're, you're primed and, and ready to have a future focused discussion on solutions. So you've got a captive audience and things will go well if you can do those steps. Agree, find the truth, empathize, future focused discussion. I'd love, if you've used this technique, I'd love to hear your story and share it 
Um, so it, like I said, this is like the most powerful technique I know. So use it and then uh, tell me your experience with it. It takes a lot of practice. It's not easy. In fact, it's easy to mess up, um, but it's, it's incredibly powerful. So if you've used it, let me know. Send me a message on our Facebook page or email us at stories at the com. And if you haven't used it, oh, come on, you know, what more could I say? I mean, that, that's on you if you haven't used it yet. You know, find, find some people to agree with and, and watch, watch what happens. Okay, so this week's episode is about grounding your identity. And let me just tell you, this is another powerful one. If you're the kind of person who, who gets worked up, if you've got like a temper, or if you're the kind of person who uh, feels insecure from time to time, this will this will change your life. This will change your life. There's so much power here. So to get you thinking about identity, I want you to just envision this kind of a circumstance. I want you to envision that um, that you're this kind of person. You were raised to believe that hard work is very important and that you are a hard worker, right? You're always worth more than you're getting paid. You're um, you're diligent. You're loyal, right? You are you are competent and that that is how you were raised to believe. Like, let's just if if you, if you weren't raised that way, I'm sorry. Just pretend like you were for purposes of this exercise. All right. So that's really important to you. I work hard. I'm worth more than I'm getting paid. That's that's how I do things. That's how I operate. So you start. You know, you've been at the same company for a number of years, and you've had mostly good feedback, and um, you've even turned down some opportunities to go elsewhere. And so you're thinking. Maybe, maybe I had to bring up the subject of salary with my boss. Um, you you kind of agonize over this because it's not really, you know, it's not really you to be out there saying like, hey, pay me more, right? Because you're, you're the kind of person who's always worth more than you're getting paid. Um, but, you know, you get some encouragement and you're kind of spurred on by, by your colleagues and you decide you're going to ask your boss for a raise. So you go in and your boss responds by saying, hmm, I, I'm actually surprised surprised you want to talk about this at all because recently I have felt your performance has has not been good whoa curveball right weren't expecting that remember you're this is how you live your life you're always worth more than you're getting paid you always do your part you work hard and now to hear this it's like boy how are you feeling how are you feeling well my guess is probably one of two ways either a you're you are now extrapolating this statement from your boss to implicate your entire identity and you're starting to wonder if you actually are that kind of person that you think you are you start wondering am i actually the kind of person who works hard and is worth more than they're getting paid maybe i'm not maybe i'm not that good maybe i've been maybe i've been getting lazy Hmm. And now, now you start to exaggerate this negative feedback. Or alternatively, maybe maybe you're a denier. Maybe you're in denial about this, and you say something like, "My boss, he doesn't know anything. He he does not even understand what I do for a job. He knows business, but he doesn't know X Y Z, which is what I do. So yeah, he can't understand my contribution because he's just he's just a doofus, right? So now now you're getting defensive. You're you're in denial, right? Those are like the most common responses to an identity implication. And like I say, conversations, they get chippy when it seems like the conversation might be saying something about you. (laughs) So anyway, our goal today is to go through these kinds of uh, crises and then to figure out how to keep our balance or regain our balance. 
All right, so a couple of things about identity. Difficult conversations are difficult because, in most instances, they threaten our identity, or because we're worried we need to say something that threatens somebody else's identity. So that's what makes them hard in the first place. You know, we go into this conversation thinking we are a certain person, and then that person, you know, thinking we are a certain way, but then the way we see ourselves, it's called into question. By the, by the conversation. It throws us way off balance. It causes us to doubt our position. It causes us to doubt ourselves, our, our, even our observations we can start to doubt. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. I mean, these identity crises, they really throw us off. And it's probably because the idea of ourselves and our future, that's, that is hardwired to our adrenal response. It makes what is already a difficult exercise, having a, a sensitive conversation, it makes that almost impossible. You know, it's like playing Jenga in the middle of a seizure. Like it just, it's really, really hard. Um, another good comparison. So I, I occasionally exercise, you know, like once a month, whether I need it or not. And, um, and I'll be lifting weights and I have cubital tunnel syndrome real bad in both elbows. It causes my hands to go numb if my elbows hit a certain angle. And, so there are times where I'll be holding weights and all of a sudden my hands will go numb. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I'm just going to push through and finish this set. Well, you can imagine how well that goes over, like not at all. But it's kind of like trying to have a difficult conversation when your identity gets uh, <laughs> gets challenged. Uh, it just it's like your hands go numb and you can't you can no longer control this weight. And um, that that's what happens. Right. That is the physiological response of our identities being challenged. And I'm sure you felt it. So how can we be a little less vulnerable to these kinds of these kinds of identity earthquakes uh, or identity attacks? Well, the answer is finding a little bit of security. Uh, don't you admire the people like who who they're like the mallard duck? Everything just rolls right off their back. They're just not fluffed by anything. Um, those people have a really secure identity, and so I'm going to give you some tips on how to have a secure identity. And like I say, this will change your life if you let it. I know it's really helped me a lot uh, learning these principles. And in and, and this this next segment, I, a lot of this comes from, I mean, it's it's well documented in a lot of literature. Virtually every, every kind of uh, peace building or dispute resolution uh, text, uh, reconciliation research, all of these things talk about the following, um, the, the following points about identity. So the, um, okay, step one is to avoid all or nothing thinking. That's avoiding denial, avoiding exaggeration. When we get one piece of feedback, we can't let that piece of feedback define who we are. We can't forget everything else about us. Um, it's, it's inaccurate to do so, but it happens all the time. So exaggeration is this, and you need to avoid exaggeration. It's this, it's this thinking that, you know, if I'm not completely competent, then I must be totally incompetent. It's tempting to go there, even though it sounds bizarre. It sounds like, why would anyone do this? Well, I don't know why, but we do. Um, but we act as though this negative feedback is the only way, the only information we have about ourselves. So here's, here's the story. Uh, I was uh, working with a, an employee at an organization who worked with, uh, did a lot of transactions. This person did a lot of transactions and they messed up on a transaction and their boss came down on them pretty hard for it. This person was really upset 
not at their boss, but they were really upset at themselves for making this error. And they were so upset at themselves that they had concluded that they must not be a good worker and that they should, they should look elsewhere. You know, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel because this terrible experience uh, of the boss coming down on them and feeling like they're in, incompetent. And I remember talking to this person. They were so worked up and I was really trying to empathize with them. Eventually, I asked him, how many transactions have you done perfectly? And I just remember the, this person saying, well, well, does that really matter? And I responded, yeah, it does matter. And then I told them, I said, look, this, this one transaction is one piece of information. Are you going to just ignore all the other? And, and they had that decision to make like, oh yeah. Am I going to tell myself the story that I'm, I really am just bad that I'm no good at this job because I made a mistake. Uh, and they decided that they were not going to buy that story after all. And they decided, you know what? I am pretty good. And, and this was, this was an error. I dropped the ball. I messed up, but nine, you know, 9,999 times I do this just right. So anyway, that was, and, and then they felt better about their job and they felt better about the criticism that they received. They realized that the criticism was not, Hey, Mr. Smith, you're, you're a terrible employee. Why do we ever hire you? You've got no skill. You're incompetent. You don't know what you're doing. You're not careful. <laughs> that wasn't what the boss was saying. All the boss was saying was, Hey, this was an error and you need to fix that. How can we, you know, is there anything that can be done to make sure uh, we're still improving and limiting those errors more and more every day? So anyway, that that was it, it was eye opening for this person to realize that the feedback they were getting was actually different than they thought. The feedback they were getting was limited to a certain specific instance. It was not a blanket statement about their competence even though it felt that way initially. Okay, so that's, um, that's exaggeration. The other thing we need to avoid is denial. This is when your, uh, your image is perfect. You, you decide, you know what, my image is one of perfection. I have no room. I have no room for mistakes. I have no room for any error. And anytime someone suggests that I may have made a mistake, uh, that creates a real problem for me because my identity is such that it can't be true. And so anytime you get this kind of feedback, you start thinking to yourself, look, I need to figure out why this isn't true. I need to figure out why it doesn't matter or, or maybe just why it wasn't actually a mistake, right? The, that, that's where you start going. <laughs> Go back to the, you know, the person who asked their boss for a raise a minute ago. The boss said, I've been disappointed, right? Denial requires this person to get real defensive and say in their head, yeah, the boss, the boss doesn't know anything about what I've done. If, if the boss actually knew what I've done, he would have never said that. <laughs> yeah, that's denial. Okay. Re requires a, a lot of mental gymnastics. And, and let me tell you this, denial is more dangerous than exaggeration because, <laughs> because the longer you deny the longer you hold on to a, an unrealistic image of identity perfection, the bigger the gap gets between the way you see yourself and kind of what you fear might actually be true about yourself. And the bigger that gap gets, the more you have to lose by giving up this facade. And so 
if you are prone to denial, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You have to start by, well, and that brings us to the solution. What do you do? If, even if you're, if you're a denier or an exaggerator, what do you do? Well, you just take an accurate inventory of, of who you are. It's like, the, like the, the person who did the transactions. They had to realize, well, the accurate view is I'm almost, you know, I'm almost always perfect at this, but I am capable of error. And it, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm not cautious, I can make a mistake. So a uh, couple of stories about having an accurate self-image. Uh, the cool thing about this, by the way, about having an accurate self-image is even if in the midst of your conversation, you start out feeling like really defensive and denying or, or you want to exaggerate it and you're getting all sorry for yourself, you can quickly rebound. Uh, this, this technique allows for some time and some error. So even if you mess up at first, you can quickly, you can quickly adjust and get out of it just fine. Um, which is unlike the disarming technique, which requires you to nail it right out of the gates. Um, so anyway, example of this. So uh, I got a phone call from my sister, Whitney, who's probably the nicest person on earth that I can think of. Well, maybe second nicest. Uh, I, I don't know, probably first, actually. So anyway, Whitney gives me a call and she says, hey, just wanted to let you know, I went up to the cabin and and um, boy, we walked in and the whole cabin like smelled terrible and we found a stinky diaper that you guys had left up there. And I just wanted you to know um, that that had happened so that you could, just as a kind of a learning experience, so you can remember next time you go up um, to be real careful. We have these kind of cleaning checklists and just go through them, double check. And um, and she, she said this like very, very articulately, very well. Um, it was not it was not aggressive or anything, very tactful, very tactfully done, which is, which is her MO. She's, she's an expert at, at doing this. Um, the funny thing was the effect it had on me is I started, at least initially, I slipped up by, I started, I started thinking this, I started thinking, I went into exaggeration and I started thinking, you know what? I am the least responsible kid in my family. You know, of all the kids in my family, of all my siblings, it, it would be me that leaves the diaper up there and stinks up the whole cabin. Yeah, that would be me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, and I started, I started kind of weaving in my head this kind of, oh, you know, so, so pitiful story of myself about how I'm just a little bit less on the ball than everyone else in my family. And I realized this was happening and immediately decided, you know, I'm going to do a course correction. We're not going there. And I took a, kind of an accurate inventory, which is, you know what, I'm actually, I'm, I am responsible. Like I, I, I know, I know how to clean up. I know how to take care of things. And, um, and I, I started thinking back and I thought, oh, you know, what? I know why I forgot, you know, we were getting the kids in the car and someone was screaming and the blah, blah, blah. We had, you know, we've got these four little tornadoes tearing through the cabin. We're trying to keep it clean. And as we were doing all of our pickup chores, um, we just got our wires crossed on who was doing what, and it got missed. And so as soon as I, as soon as I took this accurate inventory and I realized that, you know, we, we actually do a pretty good job cleaning up the cabin. And in this one instance, we got our wires crossed and we made a mistake. We, uh, we left this undone. As soon as I did that, boy, I, boy, did I feel better. I stopped feeling so bad about everything. And I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, 
okay. And then the next time I went up, I was able to, you know, that wasn't such a negative experience. I was able to just be thinking like, oh, yeah, and we need to be doubly sure that we've, you know, that my family, that we've talked about who's doing what, because otherwise we could miss a job. And, um, and, but anyway, that's a good example of, you know, you start going down the path of exaggeration of a negative feedback, and then you catch it, and you fix it, and, you know, it's not so bad. Um, I had the opposite experience this morning, where I, I, instead of exaggeration, I started going into denial. Uh, this morning, on my way into work to do this podcast, I got pulled over for speeding in a school zone five miles an hour over the limit. And the, the thing that's crazy is I had just dropped my kid off at this school, um, just like a block away so she could walk over with a friend. I knew the school was there. I knew there was a school zone. And I was just kind of going with the flow of traffic. And I went, I went through five miles an hour fast and uh, got pulled over. And uh, I actually think I was going a little more than five miles an hour fast. Um, I just wasn't paying close enough attention to my speed. Um, but anyway, the cop cited me for five over and, and I was, I was mad. And at first I was like in denial. I was like, Oh, come on. Like I was, uh, this is ridiculous. I was going with the flow of traffic and, and I was trying to weave a story where, you know what? I, uh, I am a, I am a perfectly good driver. I don't make any errors. And, you know, if you're trying to insinuate that I don't care about these children's lives, like the cop came and asked me, he goes, Hey, did you see those flashing lights? As soon as he asked that. It was. It felt like he was saying, like, yeah, you don't care that there are little kids crossing the road. You don't care about killing people. You know, like, <laughs> I started kind of. There are these implications. Like, what are you saying about me here? Um, and, and anyway, my response was a denial response initially, and um, I fortunately I didn't say any of that out loud. Um, but my internally, I started feeling like this denial. Like, no, no, no. And, and who cites someone for this amount over the speed limit? But um, but ultimately, I was able to kind of rebound, regain my balance and say, gosh, what was I thinking? Why was I why was I not being more cautious about my speed there? You know, I'm I try to be very cautious about my speed, especially in school zones. And, and I was able to feel a little bit better about it instead of being so angry about this ticket and worked up all day. I just accepted, you know what, blew it on this one and. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still a good driver. I'm going to be a little more cautious, particularly dropping the kids off at school. Anyway, that's, a, that's just another example. All right. So wanted to introduce you to a concept called the concern alert. The concern alert comes from Brian Coots. He's my law partner uh, and his wife. I, I don't know which one of them. It may have been Linda that made this up. Um, but they're both really good communicators, really deliberate about... Um, about managing uh, strong relationships, particularly in their marriage. And so I, I always, my ears always perk up whenever I hear things from them because they're, they're a really good example of this stuff. The concern alert is a code. It's a code that Brian and Linda developed to help each other not get knocked off balance if they're about to say something that they perceive could throw the other person's identity into this little identity quake situation. Uh, in marriage, you're, you know, you're partnered together with a spouse. You're trying to work through problems that you encounter. You're trying to help each other improve. You're trying to be a good spouse. There is a temptation that every time you say something about your spouse, there, you know, if you receive any kind of feedback that feels negative, 
it is really easy in a, in a marriage to start saying to yourself, you know, what they're really saying is that I'm a bad, that I'm a bad spouse and that I'm, that I'm selfish or, you know, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, Brian and Linda address this issue by, by creating the code concern alert. So if there's something that's sensitive that needs to be talked about, they lead with, Hey, I have a concern alert. And it's almost a joke. Like it's almost a little bit funny. It's not like so serious. It's not like, Hey honey, we need to talk, right? That's like, that's like, let's just start the conversation on the wrong foot here, right? No, no, it's not like that. Concern alert, it's, it's almost like a funny thing, but it's code for saying, hey, look, I'm about to say something, and you might take it personally, but you need to know I'm, it's not meant to be a personal attack. I love you. We're in this together. You know, we're going to solve this. We're about to solve a problem together, all right? And you might feel self-conscious about it, but don't. It's just a concern alert. And so anyway, that's, that's concern alert. I love it. It's a team approach to addressing important issues without throwing someone you care about into this, you know, off balance, uneasy adrenal response state. Um, so anyway, that's a great tip. And, um, I'd recommend using that particularly in a marriage. So another, another little tip that, that I've learned from watching divorcing couples, uh, in mediation, um, is to not try so hard to control the other person's reaction. It's good to be careful about the way you say things, and it's good to say them in a way that's clear and understandable and accurate. And it's good to be sensitive to others' feelings when you say things, you know, to, to take that into account. But as soon as you cross the line and you start creating an expectation where when you're delivering the news, you are implying that you expect them to take it a certain way that you want them to. As soon as you cross that line, you've lost. You've lost the battle. So here's an example. Divorcing couple, they've got kids. They decide, you know what, we're separating, we're, um, but we're going, to, uh, we're going to make it really good on the kids. We're going to be very cognizant of their needs and their emotions. And um, so we're going to sit them down and we're going to tell them, you know, it's going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to be both in your life and we're going to be very, um, we're going to be very happy and you're still going to get to spend lots of time with everybody and you're going to have all of your needs met and we're going to do vacations and blah, 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 blah. We have a good plan in place. This is all going to work. So you can say all these things and, and the harder you try to make it seem like everything's okay the the more it looks like you're creating the expectation that the child's not allowed to be sad the child's not allowed to be hurt and if if you've done that then you've lost you have cut off the relationship with your child because they're not allowed to feel the way they do around you anymore and so whenever i talk to couples as a mediator i would i would tell them you know tell the kids that you're being that you're being as careful as you can to make sure their lives are are as good as possible going forward, but tell them that they are allowed to be angry or they're allowed to be upset about this and that it's not really good news. You know, don't, don't couch it as good news because it's not. It's not. But tell them that you're really committed to helping them any way you can. That's what matters. Um, so anyway, one of, the, one of the benefits of not trying to control the reaction you get so much is it, it, it's very liberating for you. Uh, it makes communication a lot easier because instead of trying to control their reaction, which, which really you're, you're, you shouldn't have control over, 
instead of that, you just try to focus on how to control your response to their reaction. You can anticipate what their reaction will be, and you can prepare yourself to respond in a way that makes sense, uh, in a way that's good for the relationship. So that's my advice. Stop, stop worrying so much about the reaction you're going to get. And, um, well, I wouldn't say stop worrying about it. Just don't control it. Don't control the reaction that you're going to get. It will improve your relationships. Um, okay, now going back to stop hitting yourself. This is our segment of listener story. Oh boy, I'm going to have to fly through this because we are, we are at 35 minutes, folks. Um, okay, really quick. I've changed the facts of this a lot. Um, so it's not identifiable. And by the way, if, if you're thinking about sharing a story with me and you're worried I'm going to share it on the show, I won't share it on the show unless you tell me, hey, yeah, you can share this. And, um, and by the way, I'll, I'll change all kinds of details so that it's not identifiable. This came from a younger listener. Um, and, and actually, I think our following is, is actually a fairly young one. Uh, Facebook kind of tracks people who are liking the page and stuff. And, and our younger people following is, is probably our biggest demographic, to my surprise. But it makes sense because teenagers and, you know, young marrieds and, and others, they are in a lot of they're in a lot of difficult conversations all the time. So anyway, um, here's the quick story. Um, I mean, we're going to make this super quick. Somebody was getting rumors spread about them. They were untrue and they were very hurtful. And the relationship was under a ton of stress. So the person says, hey, what can I do to try to get this back on the rails? It's a relationship I value. But this person just straight up lied and they're lying. You know, they're they're disparaging my name to others. Oh, that's a tough that's a tough spot to be in. Um, and so the question is, how do you how do you have this conversation? How do you get it back on the rails? And the goal here is not simply dispute resolution. Dispute resolution is like, hey, we're going to solve one problem. The goal here was deeper. The goal here was actually reconciliation. I want to solve this one problem, this one misunderstanding, and I want to have a relationship going forward. So so that that's that's like that's a, that's a bigger that's a bigger thing. Um, this is the kind of dispute that requires ongoing relationship afterwards. So. Um, my, my analysis of this was, was pretty straightforward. Um, step one is get up the courage to have the conversation. Um, I just encourage this person that, Hey, you know what? It's okay. It's a conversation that needs to be had and don't be too, don't be too afraid. Um, make sure that you realize where this other person's coming from. Yeah. They just disparaged you. Yeah. They, they, they spread rumors about you that were untrue. But where is that coming from? Why, why, did, why did they do that in the first place? Well, the answer, well, this person was really hurt. Um, well, did you hurt them? Well, no, I didn't hurt them. I was totally honest with them, and I, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why they started spreading rumors. didn't make any sense to me. And then I, I started asking them about their relationship generally and um, learned that, you know, there had been some other things that had gone on in the relationship that could have caused the person who spreaded rumors to start feeling like the relationship was suffering a little bit and that that really there may have been even a, a, a perception that that they had been betrayed and that that's why they str- they lashed out and started spreading rumors. The betrayal was not a real one, by the way. It didn't make sense to this. It didn't make sense to me even. Um, but it, we, we kind of figured out where this all came from. And so... The advice, the advice as we talk through it, 
was to to come in and, and start the conversation by by explaining, hey, when I when I saw this, you know, this social media attack or, you know, when when so and so told me about what you had said about me and spreading these rumors, like I felt I felt so hurt and um, I was really angry. Um, but, you know, and then and then here comes the disarming part. But um, I started realizing that maybe what you were saying is that you felt like I didn't have your back and that I, I, you know, was being a little bit selfish. And, um, and you know, if I'm honest with myself, I, I'd have to say you're right. I, I hadn't been as loyal. I hadn't, hadn't been there um, for you. And, and it must have hurt a lot. But I, I would very much like to, you know, and then you spell out kind of what, what you'd like to see happen. Um, so there you go. You've agreed. You found the truth in what they're saying. You've given them some empathy. And now you're focusing on kind of how things look going forward. And as you're talking about how things look going forward, you can now spring up. But by the way, what you did, you know, saying this, spreading these rumors, it really hurt me. And I'm worried that others might believe those things. And that could really damage my reputation. Um, and you don't have to say all that. You can just leave it at, you know, that, that really hurt. And, and I, I wonder if there's a way for us to fix it. And then you're kind of brainstorming together and probably going to get an apology. And um, and now you're doing better. You're doing better. You can talk about in the future. Look, let's just come to each other. Uh, let's talk about this, these things privately. And, um, and you know, we're good. We're moving on. And, and so now you've kind of laid the framework for the, you know, the reconciliation. You know, this is how it will work going forward. You know, our relationship is one we both expect will continue. Um, the expectations are managed. Um, but at the same time, you've done what is, you know, virtually I mean, it's almost impossible to do without a really deliberate approach, which is, which is empathized with someone who has completely unreasonably attacked you. But that's how you unlock the key to resolution and reconciliation. So hope you enjoyed the episode today. I, um, I would just give you that, this invitation um, to be a little happier. Um, you'll, you'll find a lot of power in grounding your identity, accepting the reality that, that we are who we are. Sometimes our intentions are complex. Um, sometimes we make mistakes. Um, but that is not the only information you have, right? Um, get an accurate picture of yourself and it will be incredibly empowering for you. And um, also, if you're at the Cougary, don't yell at the poor people, the poor lady who's working the cashier, <laughs> the, the, the cash register. All right, have a little more love in what you say. Drop the contempt. All right, um, thanks again for, uh, for listening to the show. I hope, I hope you'll subscribe share this with people you know, and we'll continue the dispute resolution revolution. Until next time, this is Ty Brown. Thanks for listening.